Well, thank you very much. And can I say, um, it's lovely to be with you this morning. I was very nervous because apart from, I think, a wedding and a funeral, this is the first time that I've been to a Presbyterian church. So I thought I ought to be on my best behavior. But I'm beginning to relax. And uh, nobody has kind of looked at me in an odd way with two heads or anything like that. So it's really, seriously, it's lovely to be with you. And I was delighted to be invited to come along. And I chose this passage today because... I believe that there are some really significant principles in it that can help us as Christians today trying to work out how we live out our faith in a way that makes a difference to our community and to the world in which we're living. Hopefully I've said enough by now for you to have picked up that I don't have either an East Belfast accent or even hopefully too much of an Irish accent, and you may have realized that I was born and brought up in England. I moved over here when I married my husband, who's from Donegal. So we have very diverse accents in our home, and our three children were all brought up here in Northern Ireland, so we're a real mixture of people. But soon after David and I were married, and I had moved over to live in Northern Ireland, there was an election. And just like the last few weeks, there were billboards everywhere, there was vote one, vote two. I had never looked at, um, the, you know, like a more than first past the post system. I had no idea who these different political parties were. And I apparently asked loads of questions. Well, is the alliance the same as the Liberal Democrats in, in England? And is this like that? And all these loads and loads of questions. David said it was awful. Uh, in my past, I'd been a journalist, and he said he felt like the interview subject But sometimes I think asking questions is really good and really important. And we have to ask ourselves questions, and we need to ask questions of uh, the people around us sometimes as well. And I'm really struck that in this story from Mark's Gospel, we have onlookers asking questions. And they did ask the right question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But they didn't use the question to work their way to the right conclusion. That Jesus, in forgiving the man's sins, was demonstrating who he was, the Son of God. God himself in human form, and that he did indeed have the power to forgive sins. So really they missed the point. They only saw the man's physical problems, that he was paralyzed, totally dependent on help from others, unable to do anything really for himself. They missed the fact that just like everyone else born into this world, he needed to be forgiven his sins. And it's amazing to see the way that God comes straight to deal with the big issue first. That Jesus told the man that he was forgiven from his sins. That he dealt, then he dealt with a practical problem. And quite remarkably by simply healing the man with just a word. So we have the people who asked questions. Secondly, we have the man who did something. You know, the paralyzed man actually had a couple of choices. We aren't told whose idea it was for his friends to carry him to the house where Jesus was, to dig up the roof in order to lower him through. You can't imagine, even today, what would happen if somebody started to make a hole in our roof here and lower somebody down. It might have been the man's own idea. Maybe he knew enough about Jesus and he wanted to somehow get to Jesus. That he maybe asked or at the very least encouraged them to take him. 
But it, I don't believe that if he'd been really against the idea of being taken to Jesus, that his friends would have gone to so much trouble. So we can take it, I think, as a fairly good understanding that the man chose to get his friends to take him to see Jesus, to see what Jesus would do for him. But he also made a second choice. He's lying on the mat. He's at the feet of Jesus. He's the center of everyone's eyes. They're all looking to see what will happen. This great crowd of people in the house. And at that point, there's no evidence that anything miraculous is going on. Jesus simply speaks to him and says, take up your mat and go home. And do you know the man takes Jesus at his word? He doesn't lie there thinking or even saying, don't you know I'm paralyzed? Don't you know these muscles haven't worked for years? I mean, surely I would need an intensive course of physiotherapy just to try to sit up let alone stand up and walk home. Instead of making excuses, the man does what Jesus tells him to do. He gets up, he picks up the mat that he's been lying on, and he, the mat that he was lowered through the roof on, he picks it up and he goes home. I was interested as I was reflecting on this passage to see that the gospel writer doesn't actually give us any clues as to when Jesus healed him when Jesus performed the miracle. Whether it was when Jesus spoke the words of forgiveness or whether it was when he instructed the man to get up or whether it was when the man was obedient and stood for himself. I think all three of those moments were important, but I suspect that the man exercising faith had something to do with the healing And thirdly, we have Jesus' part in the story. We have the the people asking questions, the man choosing to do something, and Jesus in the middle of it. And Jesus demonstrated incredible compassion, didn't he, for this paralyzed man. It's like the image of the kingdom of God being a bit of an upside-down kingdom. The man is lowered in from a roof, the roof that he could never have climbed up to himself. But instead, he's lowered down to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus forgives his sins when the people all around him were perhaps expecting him to do a miracle of healing. You know, so often we forget that what God wants to do in our lives and in our communities is so much more than we ever expect. And I think sometimes we're quite skeptical in the West of anything that's outside of our own experience or even sometimes I believe we're quite skeptical about the lasting impact that God makes in people's lives and in the lives of communities. As uh, Lisa said, it's 10 years since David and I moved to East Belfast and started to work in Willowfield. And we were quite overwhelmed at the time with the uh, very real social um, deprivation and the real needs of our community and the lack of engagement between the church, which sits in the middle of a very built-up area of housing and the people who lived in the houses all around us. There just wasn't very much connection. And we were told by a friend of ours a great story that I want to tell you because it's, uh, it, it was quite liberating for us. He'd moved, he was an American, he'd moved to be pastor of an American church and he'd had this kind of conversation with God about the church and the community where he had been called. It went something like this. 
Well, Lord, I could see that maybe we should do something for the children in this area. Or maybe we should do something for the elderly. Or maybe we should have a big evangelistic crusade. Or maybe we should do missionary work into Mexico across the border. Or maybe, or maybe. And he sensed, it was as if God said to him, just do something. Just do something and I will bless you. Just do something that will show people my heart for them, my concern, my compassion, my desire to, to come alongside them, to be their friend forever and ever when they are willing. Just do something. And that's what we've tried to do in Willowfield over the last 10 years and, and continue to try to do. And it starts off with asking the question, you know, what are the needs in our community? What could we do? And I know that you as a church are also asking those kind of questions, how you can impact your community and make a real difference. And we just ask that, answer it with that question, just do something. So when I went to Ethiopia last October, I had lots of questions in my head. I was asking questions all the time about who the people were, what was going on, what the church was doing, what the needs were. We were visiting a number of projects in two different parts of southern Ethiopia where Tear Fund Partner, the Kali Heiwe Church, is doing an amazing work. And it really is very exciting to see. My impression of Ethiopia, and perhaps yours, goes back to the images we saw 25 years ago in, um, with Live Aid and the terrible famines that there were. But 20 years on, you know, Ethiopia is still one of the poorest countries in the world. Women still have incredibly low status. And the Kali Heiwe Church is choosing to reach out primarily to women. And that was one of the reasons why I was so excited to go and have a chance to see and hear for myself uh, what's going on. There are very low levels of hygiene, very low health um, care provision. Do you know that when a baby is born, there's not really much of a celebration. But when a baby reaches the first birthday, that's the big occasion, because so few children make it to their first birthday. We met with people while we were there who'd been asking real questions about what the church can do to make a lasting impact in people's lives and how they can tell people about Jesus in a way that also helps them to make sense of their lives, what we can do in a practical way that makes a difference. They were asking what can we do? And they were answering for themselves by saying, just do something. And what they had done was beyond asking questions, but taking action. And they've come up with this very significant project that I'm going to tell you about for my last few minutes, um, which brings Jesus into the story in a very real way. And what I saw in Ethiopia, I think, is a fascinating example of the principles from this passage in Mark. People asking questions about the situation. The church asking the questions, what can we do to make a difference? How can we help people who haven't got enough to eat? Not just by giving them food that will solve the problem for today, but by providing them with ways of feeding themselves for the future. And that ranged from projects in very rural communities where soil erosion you know, the water coming, just wiping the topsoil off 
off the ground, off the area. Um, and now they're setting up what's called terracing so that when the rains come, they don't sweep all the soil off, but it's caught in these terraces and therefore the crops continue to grow. And people are being paid to build terraces to enable them to buy food rather than simply being given the food and being left without a solution to the problem. Uh, but also, the church has set up this scheme where they have two facilitators and the tier fund partner will pay for one of the facilitators and the church pays for the other. And the people they've picked are evangelists, people who are passionate to tell people the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to earth to die for them, to forgive their sins and give them a relationship with Jesus, with God the Father, to put right what had gone wrong, uh, to reconcile them to God, but also to help them to set up the self-help group system, which is basically a very simple but incredibly effective way for people to make a difference in their own lives. So we gather together 20 women, and it is almost all women, because they're the people in the greatest need, they're the poorest of the poor. So, you know, we could pick 20 women here. And we would come together once a week, and we would agree to set ourselves up as a, as a committed group of people, and each of us would save the equivalent of 5p a week. So that means a pound a week goes into the self-help group's kitty. And over the course of a few months, you can do the maths, you can see there's a few pounds there. And uh, maybe Lisa would be the first person in our group who would be able to take a loan. And with her loan, she would set herself up in a small business, what you might call petty trading. I stayed with a family, um, and the mom in the family, Fakita, had set herself up to sell secondhand clothes in the local market. And as a result of being able to sell clothes, which she had bought with her loan, she'd been able to sell them at a bit of a profit, not massive, but a bit of a profit, pay back her loan, buy some more clothes, carry on selling them, carry on making money. So when we went to stay with her, she said to me, I used to be poor, but now I'm rich. But the person who had helped them to work out how to set up this scheme had also, as I said, been an evangelist and had told them about Jesus. And so she'd also come to faith in Jesus, and she showed me the photograph of herself and her husband being baptized in the lake in Awasa where we were staying. So people who had gone beyond asking questions to do something. I also met an amazing lady who lived in a very rural community, incredibly poor. She wouldn't actually have had 5p a week to give into the kitty. She wouldn't have even that much money. But what she, so the facilitator said to her, how can we help you to work out how you can be part of this program that will make a real difference for your family? And she said, well, all I have is a coffee bean tree. And in Ethiopia, coffee is incredibly important. I thought it was important in churches in, in Ireland until I went to Ethiopia. And everywhere we went, they gave us coffee and they gave us popcorn. It's a very interesting combination. Try it sometime. We became quite fond of it. But uh, they, this lady told us that she had literally not been, had any money that she could save. But they would have made coffee maybe five times a day. She'd have taken her beans, she'd have roasted them, ground them, made coffee with them. And so with the other members of her group, they agreed that each time they made coffee, they'd take their handful of beans. 
And they'd take out three beans and put them aside in a jar, and that would be their savings. So, you know, that's 15 beans a day, 20 people, seven days a week. You can add them up. My last isn't quite that good. But what you have at the end of that is enough coffee beans to sell and the beginning of being able to raise money to set up themselves again in this small business self-help group that made such a difference. The church partner that we visited, the Cali Hayway Church, was determined to bring Jesus into every situation. That's a denomination that spread right across the country, but they were being so strategic in how they were sending people out, two by two, where have you heard that before? To tell people about Jesus and to help them to set up these groups that would make, enable them to work their way out of real poverty. And they were determined to, to set up more and more groups uh, to reach out to more and more members of the, of the country, to members of the community, the poorest of the poor. And on our last morning, they took us to a village, which was a village entirely of potters. I think there is a picture that maybe will come up of a group of potters sitting there with a pot. I'm just going to put my pot here so most of you can see it. You know, as I think back, it was an amazing morning because we were sitting there under the trees listening to the village elders telling the story. It was the sort of typical picture that I have in my head of African village life. And they were talking to us about how the self-help group system had helped them. They'd learnt that at different times of the year there's more demand for pots, probably coming up to festival time or perhaps when there's going to be a wedding or there's a group of people gathering together and they needed new pots. And this is a coffee pot shape. Uh, but there were also cooking pots that they were making. And while we were sitting there listening to the stories, this lady in front of me took a lump of clay and entirely by hand with some water, she formed this lump of clay into a beautiful spherical pot. You know, it wasn't anything like the image that we have perhaps of making a pot from that movie Ghost and the potter's wheel and um, the, mu the music going and everything. But this was incredible craftsmanship. And this lady was making this pot, and she knew that she had been given the support and the help with marketing, with setting up a store, with working together with her colleagues in a way that had transformed their village and their community. But what was so significant was to hear that in Ethiopia, the potters are the social outcasts. They are the lowest of the low. They're the people who even the church tends to avoid whenever possible. I was thinking, you know, who would we think of as being our social outcasts? It could be people from a different community. You know, I think that the recent um, documentaries that have been quite um, mesmeric, really, the Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, I don't know if you've seen any of those, where we've looked at another culture, but in a almost very critical and almost laughing at another culture. And the way that the potters would be treated in Ethiopia would be very similar to the way that the traveling community perhaps would be perceived here. And yet the church were the people who'd gone in to help them. And the lady telling us her story said to us, I couldn't believe that the church would help us. 
Just do something. The lady with the coffee beans, three coffee beans. Never forget that we can take tiny steps that actually can change our own lives and the lives of people around us. Just do something. Those of you who, who were challenged this morning by what Christoph said about how we find it so difficult to talk to people who we know, but who we know don't know Jesus. You know, just do something. We never know how much impact what we say, who we are, and how we treat people can have on their eternal destiny. Just do something. I know that Tiffin is setting up a new project, which isn't quite out yet, but it's called See for Yourself. Because not everybody can go as I did and literally see for themselves and meet the people. But this is going to be an opportunity for us to follow a village over a year and see how the work that Tear Fund is doing alongside their partners can make such a lasting difference. And I'd really encourage you to have a look at that. I've uh, written a little bit or been interviewed for an article in the next issue of Tear Times about another visit I had um, to Nepal and what I saw there and how the church there is also making a radical difference in the community. And Lisa, in a sense, has given me permission to tell you about one thing that's happening here that maybe we can use as an opportunity to make a difference to the people around us. And that's this um, mission opportunity at the Odyssey at the end of the month when a South African farmer called Angus Buchan is coming to preach uh, to tell people about how the love of Jesus can change their lives forever. And it will be a great occasion but my fear is that the, it, that the place will be filled with Christians because we'll think, oh, that's great. We can have a free night at the Odyssey because there are some Christian businessmen who've paid for it, so the tickets are free. But we won't take our non-Christian friends and neighbors with us. And, you know, that would be an incredible tragedy. So as I finish, um, I want to say to you, would you like to think about Angus Buchan and that visit to the Odyssey as one thing that you could do? I know that you're asking lots of questions here. You're wanting to do things and you're wanting to bring Jesus into the story. That's what I experienced and I saw in Ethiopia. That's what our prayer, my husband David and my prayer is for where we're working just down the road in East Belfast in Willowfield. And that I know is your prayer as well. And I think that God would say to all of us today, it doesn't matter what we do, but just do something. Because anything that we do Anything even as small as three coffee beans can make a difference. Let's pray together as I close. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what we see in this story in Mark of your compassion, your desire to free that man from the burden of his sins, to forgive his sins, and to set him free to enjoy a whole new life. Thank you for the way that we saw you heal him. You dealt with his deepest needs and you dealt with his practical needs. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help each of us to see the opportunities that we have, both here at home and overseas, to draw alongside people, to deal with their real need to hear about Jesus in a way that will transform their lives, but also to address their practical needs so that they are able to focus on what Jesus would do for them.
So please will you give us opportunities to see what we can do and for each one of us that we would see the opportunity to just do something that blessed by you would make a real difference. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.